Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. Tonight, we're in Psalm 103, our second uh, approach to understanding the Lord's mercy in this passage. Tonight, we're going to look especially in verses number 3 through 5 and talk about the benefits of mercy. So we're actually going to start digging in the bucket a little bit and pulling out uh, things that uh, Scripture tells us about the mercy of the Lord. And this is a wonderful section. So I'm just going to read verse 1 through Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Now the list starts. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Great section. Heavenly Father, as we uh, open up our text before us, the word that you've given to us, we thank you, Lord, for it. And thank you for this reminder of the benefits you have showered upon us uh, as we study them and learn of them. Lord, just warm our hearts again with your kind of mercy and love. As you have uh, given this to us, we want to understand it so we can understand you and, and respond appropriately with the praise that should come from our hearts. Thank you for this opportunity here this evening, and we pray that you might bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's a picture I want you to start with here tonight. Picture uh, what happens when you fall. All right, not a happy picture, I know. Uh, But picture what it is when you fall. Falling is not something we enjoy, obviously. Uh, at the moment, it's usually a surprise. We don't plan for such a thing. Uh, but on the way down, we're generally thinking, uh-oh, uh, because anymore, that's usually not a good thing uh, for falling. Now, it's interesting how Scripture uses that picture of falling to describe our condition. We, we say that, you know, even uh, in a concept of sin, the, the fall. We say the fall. We we know that refers back to Adam and chapter 3 of Genesis uh, and things of that nature. But we also have a verse in Romans 3, verse 23, For I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We use archery terms when we use that because sin is missing the mark. Now, 
in the in the picture that we have in Scripture, Ephesians tells us in chapter two that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? We understand sin missing the mark. Trespasses, though, that is a very interesting term. The term trespass. The the Greek word is peritoma. Peritoma. It's a compound word, and not to get real technical with you, but para means alongside. All right. Now, toma, it's quite a graphic term, but generally, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute, but uh, when you put these two words together, it means to step off the path, to slip. We use that for trespasses. Uh, we deviated from the route, we've made an error, it's a transgression, it's a fault, it's an offense, it's a trespass, it's a fall. Right, that's the way we define that term. But toma means dead body. Right, so peritoma means what? Beside a dead body. Now that doesn't sound pleasant at all, does it? This is this is the picture. You're walking along the edge of a cliff. You make a bad step, and you fall off the side into this cavern. And guess what has happened before? Other people have done that. And now guess where you're at? You're laying alongside dead bodies. That's the word for trespass. Not pretty, is it? Laying alongside dead bodies. Left for dead. There's a picture of this, in a sense, in John chapter 8. You know, the early part of that chapter is the story of the woman caught in adultery, and she's brought before Jesus. And the Pharisees bring her in, and they said, This woman, according to the law, is worthy of stoning. What do you think? As far as they were concerned, she was as good as dead. Because that's what the law called for, right? This great sin that was committed here, of course, uh, she was as good as dead. That was the picture. And yet, you remember what Jesus did in that story and the results for this woman. The mercy that he showed at that moment was in absolutely incredible. We defined it this morning as mercy is God giving you what you do not deserve. Very clearly expressed in that story because what we deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. We know that. That's, that's what we absolutely deserve. And when God steps in with mercy, it's, it's wonderful. So we're going to start with the picture that we have trespassed. We have stepped off the cliff. We had fallen down into the cavern, and we're now laying alongside the dead bodies. All right? We have transgressed. We have uh, uh, trespassed. And what happens when you fall? The picture of mercy is, is absolutely incredible. The first thing he says here in verse number 3, who pardons all your iniquities. The first concept of, of this. Uh, pardons all your iniquities. Let's understand the third word in that. What does all mean to us? That's everything, right? It's not selective, is it? Oh, certain sins are forgivable and certain ones are not. We're looking at this from God's mercy. What does he say? Who pardons all your iniquities. Uh, to pardon is to release a person from punishment. That sounds very welcoming at a moment, right? To cancel. 
to not exact penalty, to forgive. That word is in the nature of forgiveness, to forgive, to pardon, to spare someone. That's quite a statement here. The only way, if you can picture this, the only way it could be said that he forgives all of your sins is if he sees all of your sins. Does he? Yes, he does. We saw that this morning. He sees exactly where we are. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 13, No creature is hidden from his sight, uh, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Does he see that we we are dead in our trespasses and sins? Yes. He, he knows that well. There's nothing we've hidden from him in this picture at all. Paul used to call, well, he did, matter of fact, in Scripture, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. How many of us think we're in second place? That's, that's what we feel. Sometimes we say, Paul, move over. We're going to tie this one anyway. Um, in Psalm 51, when David is writing of his great sin, uh, in the moment he had there with Bathsheba, he says, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. I'm constantly conscious of it. That, that had to have eaten him up for that year that he waited until he, he actually came before the Lord with repentance here. And then he adds in that, Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and have done what is evil in thy sight. God sees. That's the point to, uh, when we bring these uh, words out before him. The, the God sees that we have sinned. He sees it. Travel over to Psalm 18 for a minute. Keep your bookmark here. But in Psalm 18, verse uh, 4 through verse number 6, look at this picture. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol, that's the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. We actually should uh, heighten that a little bit. I cried to my God for help. Right? We're in trouble. Read it. We're in big trouble. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. In my distress, Lord, I cried for help. A, a child screaming for mom or dad. You've heard that before in the dark, haven't you? Mom, dad! God's mercy. He does not forgive in ignorance. That's important for us to understand. He does not, he's not ignorant of what we have done. He knows it, doesn't he? He knows it. So, this actually strengthens our concept of mercy because He sees what we have done. There's nothing hidden from Him. We're not, we're not tricking Him. We're not manipulating Him. We're not going around something in our, the fact that we have sinned. He sees that we need forgiven, and what does He do? He pardons us. Even with all that we've done, it says all, doesn't it? He pardons all our iniquities. So he sees all of them, he knows all of them, and he pardons. Now, I like that aspect of mercy, don't you? 
That's one thing they pull out of the bucket and say, wow, this is the kind of God we have. He sees exactly where we are. The second thing it mentioned in Psalm 103, verse number 3, who heals all your diseases. Now, on my uh, left hand here, I've got this little scar. It's not too visible. I could feel it yet, but I could see it a little bit. That was from the day I was fighting with my brother over a baseball hat. It just happened that the little top on the baseball hat, it, it's got underneath that cloth circle thing, is these little metal clips that hold it onto the hat. One was sticking out the day that I was holding onto it. When he yanked it out of my hand and put this deep cut right across my hand here, uh, it took a while for that to close up. It probably needed stitches, but I never wanted to confess that I had cut myself because they'd want to know the story too, right? So... I lived with that. I kind of, you know, band-aided it and everything to hold it together. But I've got a scar to remind myself <laughs> of that moment. That was a long time ago. I remember that one. On this other hand, I've got a little scar on my finger. And I don't remember that one. But my mom tells me that that was when I was in the crib. And I had figured out a way how to get that crib to scoot because it had little wheels on the bottom. And I managed to work it over to the ironing board and decided apparently I wanted to help. And uh, it fell on this finger and left this scar. And, and she tells me that was true, and I've got the scar to support it. But these scars are, are reminders of experiences in the past that, you know, we don't like to remember those kind of things. Uh, he heals. This word heals is rafa in the Hebrew. It, it talks about mending something, even by using stitches to mend it together, to, to bring it to, to a place where it can cure, to heal. It's to make it whole. A similar concept is in uh, Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed, right? His, his wounds, his welts, his scars, by those stripes we are healed. When Moses was speaking to the folks in, in uh uh, the wilderness there in Exodus chapter 15. He reminds them about their God. And he says in verse 26 there, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you. He just talked about the diseases of Egypt. They were not happy things, were they? But he says, I put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's the King James Version of that. That phrase is Jehovah Rapha, the word heal, the Hebrew word. Jehovah Rapha, he heals. So, in our picture, you have fallen into this hole, and it's left an injury. You've gone over the cliff, and you have been injured, um... This passage, it calls it a disease. It's not uncommon, I suppose, and I've heard of this in the past, for those who have spent time in, in a very uh, um, rustic type of a prison, some that might be overseas or, or in times past, where they had issues with rats and the bugs and the lice and all these other things, leprosy, tuberculosis other kind of diseases and, and such that comes from the filth of all that. Look at this phrase in verse 3. Who heals, how many? 
You see that phrase again? All your diseases. Would that include even the incurable ones? Yes, it would. Think of that for a minute. Uh, it would be easy to cure the curable ones. Give them the right medicines. Uh, uh, you know, if Jesus walked around just healing the common cold, people say, oh, time would have covered that one anyway. But rather, he healed the blind. How many answers do we have for blindness? He healed the lame. He brought back the dead. Now that's a clever way to, to heal somebody, isn't it? We don't have that in the textbook. How do you do that? Jesus is the one who, who dealt with the diseases at their worst, right? And he was able to heal them. And when it says that God in his mercy heals all your diseases, those are the things that we have brought upon ourselves and the things that just happened to us. Those things that leave scars and damage and, and destruction. He sees the damage. And he can heal it, can't he? He sees the damage, and he can heal. Now, obviously, sometimes we carry the scars still. But this is healed. This one's healed. But they're still reminders. He heals the d damage. So, he sees what needs to be forgiven, and he forgives it. He sees the damage, and he heals it. That's God's kind of mercy. That's pretty good list so far. Let's look at the third one. In verse number 4, who redeems your life from the pit. There's a good word that follows our picture, isn't it? He redeems your life from the pit. You've heard of a kinsman redeemer before, I think. The book of Ruth is based on the concept of a kinsman redeemer. Somebody who, who has difficulty in life, financial problems, uh, they, they desperately need to sell property. Usually they're a widow. Uh, and they have to sell their property in order to gain money to survive. They need it to live. Now, here's your problem. If you sell your property, where are you going to live? If you sell your property, that's generally the inheritance left for your children. And if you have to sell that, where are they going to live? What are they going to receive in the future? The Old Testament law had this wonderful concept called a kinsman redeemer. That means if you were in desperate need to sell your property because you needed the funds, you sold it to a relative. It stayed in the family. And if this relative was a very wonderful type of relative, the kind that sends you Christmas cards and all those kind of things, they will let you stay on your property. They will let it stay in the family. In other words, and, and your children don't lose their inheritance and all that. That was, that was part of the system, that you needed a kinsman to help you in a time of great need. The book of Ruth is about that. If you read it through, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. But in that picture, they came to their rescue. And that's the term, who redeems your life. They're, they're coming in the time of trouble and distress. And they're here to rescue you, to snatch you out of a pit that you have fallen into. That place of, of destruction, that, that dungeon, that hole, that pit, however you want to define it, it's even understood as a grave. They've come to rescue you. You ever read the life through the book of Jeremiah, of Jeremiah? That poor guy, no, no wonder we called him the weeping prophet. 
he was constantly in danger, it seemed. Nobody liked his message. As a result of that, on one occasion, maybe even more, but he was thrown into a cistern. A well. It was empty, apparently, at the time, but there was a big, big danger with the cistern. Next time it rains, guess what? That thing starts to fill up. And the, 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 you sink in the mud, and as you sink in the mud, the water comes up, and eventually, you drown. It's a terrible uh, situation to find yourself in. Jeremiah did. If you want to know the rest of the story, it's in Jeremiah 38. Whether or not he ever got out, right? I won't tell you. You have to look it up. But in God's mercy, what we see here, he sees what needs forgiven and he forgives it. He sees the damage and he heals it. He sees the danger and he rescues from it. He sees the danger and he rescues from it. You like this kind of mercy? It's a great picture, isn't it? Item number four. In verse number four, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Those are two great words, aren't they? Loving kindness and compassion. Uh, loving kindness is the deeds of goodness. I, uh, Devotion, a loyalty, an unchanging love. There's a lot of different definitions we use for that. He crowns you with unchanging love. Compassion. Deeply merciful. The, the picture is generally, when we speak of compassion, we actually speak of a mother's kind of tender love. That kind of a compassion. Um, now the picture is pretty obvious all of a sudden when we go back to our person who fell off the cliff. Uh, let's say that little Junior is the one who fell into the, off the cliff. He screams for help. Uh, you come running down, you reach down, you pick him up, and then what do you do? Mothers always know what to do. You take both arms and you wrap it around that little guy, don't you? But he's covered with mud. He's got bruises all over. He might even be bleeding. But what's the first thing mom want to do? Encompass him with her arms. Show him her compassion. That, that picture is in this phrase. Crowns with loving kindness. Crowns with compassion. The crown is that which encircles. All right? Most of the time we think of a crown like something on your head. And that's a circle too. But this, this verb form is to encircle something, uh, to protect it, if you will. It's to go around it and to compass it. The same picture is in the prodigal son story. In Luke chapter 15, where he came to his father after tending the pigs and eating the husks and, and all that. He came and he came to his father. And remember the phrase where his father saw him still a long ways off. His father saw him. His father had compassion on him. His father ran and embraced him and kissed him. He didn't say, go get a bath first, did he? He ran and he embraced him. That's God's kind of love. That's the word used here to describe the kind of love God has for us. Does he see that we're sinners? Yes. And he encompasses us with loving kindness and compassion. Now, that's God's kind of, a, of love. His response actually is 
Humanly, we would say it's unexpected. We expect a scolding. We expect a, a stern look, at least. Or a good spanking. Right? I grew up in that world. I never liked those things. Uh, when we see the hand go up, we flinch, don't we? Because we think, oh, this is going to hurt, so we brace ourselves. The hand goes up, we're waiting for that big one, and just imagine if God spanked you. Woo! But rather than, than hitting us, He encircles us with those hands. That's mercy. We didn't get what we deserved. He encircles us. That, that's the phrase here. He he's crowns you. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. J James said it this way. I, I think it's great. James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You sinners. That's in the same verse. <laughs> draw near to God. You double-minded. And He will draw near to you. He didn't leave out the reality of who we really are. But see the God's compassion and all that still? That was one of the first books written in the whole New Testament era. One of the first thoughts that came off the page that the people could read was, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Very precious words. Very precious words. You like that kind of mercy? That's also what God does for us. This is His mercy. When He sees that we need forgiven, He forgives it. When He sees the damage, He heals it. When He sees the danger, He rescues from it. When He sees our concern and fear, He gives us compassion. He gives us compassion. Number five. Verse five. Who satisfies your years with good things. Satisfies. To, to fill to satisfaction is a Hebrew concept here. To have more than enough, to fill it to the full, to have plenty to satisfy. There's a great picture of this as well in the New Testament. Um, Luke records this. He's a, he's a doctor. He's always right, right? This is what his record was. There was a little girl that died. And Jesus came to the house where this little girl was and if you remember, he brings the parents into the room and he brings a couple of the disciples into the room. And he goes up to this girl and he calls her name and she sits up. He raises her back to life. You know the story? Beautiful story. What's the next thing Jesus tells them to do? Feed her. Feed her. Now, you would say, wow, is that really the next thing you're supposed to do? Feed her. Just a simple, give her something to eat. Now, Luke recorded it, but there's an importance in that too. She had been ill. She had died. She needed something. Of course, bringing her back to life was a big part of that. But what did she need? She needed built back up with strength. Now, I don't doubt that Jesus re restored her fully in the way that he brought her back, but... Here's the picture again. You go and you fall off the cliff into the pit. You may be injured. You may have contracted a disease. Uh, you cry for help and you're hurt and you're rescued from the pit. You're folded into the arms of compassion and now you need something to give you strength. Right? Next thing. Give them strength. Strengthen them. 
It's a ministry we're called to, especially to those who have fallen. Do you know that? Travel with me for a minute. Keep your bookmark here. Hebrews, chapter number 12. There's a great progression of thought in chapter number 12. I've got to find it too. Hebrews chapter 12. In the, the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're running along and we're encompassed with sins, what is the picture of verse number one? What's going to happen? You ever try running with somebody tying chains around your legs? You're going down, aren't you? You're going to fall. The picture here is, get away from the encumbrances, the sins which tangle us. But here, let's, let's go with the opposite. We're in this race, sin entangles us, causes us to fall, right? There's a picture right there. You move on to the next handful of verses, 3 through 11, and it shows how prone we are to fall. Verse 4, you have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood and you're striving against sin. Or have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges. Does that sound comfortable? <laughs> scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you with sons. And what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers. He goes through this picture, but what is he doing in it? Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of Righteousness. We are being trained, but sometimes it hurts, right? Training is difficult, and sometimes we fall and we fail in the training. And yet, does God let go and say, I give up? Not at all. He's there to, to confirm His love for us, even in the midst of that. He, he's there to deal with us all the way through it. And He's training us in the process. But look at the next two verses. Why does He take us down this road? Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He is preparing us for a particular kind of ministry, if you will. In this regard, we are strengthened so we can strengthen the hands that are weak. So we can support the knees that are feeble. So we can prop each other up. Give them what they need. Build them. Strengthen them. Satisfy is the word we just saw in Hebrews. I mean in Psalms. See, when we rest in the Lord, we know that we're not left without satisfaction. When we rest in the Lord, we know that we're not disappointed. You know that, don't you? 
When you rest in the Lord, He's providing for us. No one comes from the Lord empty-handed. But here, the Lord can see our need in this. He sees how empty we are, and He fills it. He satisfies. He satisfies. So, He sees what needs forgiven, and He forgives it. He sees the danger and he heals it. I mean the damage and he heals it. He sees the danger and he rescues from it. He sees our concern and he gives us compassion. He sees our emptiness and he fills it. He satisfies your years with good things. That's mercy. You like that kind? Wonderful mercy. One more. He rebuilds. He rebuilds. He says at the end of verse 5, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. That word renewed, that's our word for repair, restore, rebuild. He repairs, he restores, he rebuilds. He causes that to happen. There's a game I used to play with all my children, but Josh was especially good at it. Uh, When he was very, very young, not hardly even beyond the age of learning to walk. He was right in that ballpark there where we had these little blocks and they had the letters and numbers, different colors on every side, little wooden blocks. And I would take those and and I'd make a a tower out of these. We called this game Tornado. Okay, it would give you an idea about what's happening. Uh, I'd build this great little tower and he'd be across the room and notice I had just built this tower. And he'd get all excited about it, and he does his little toddler thing and work his way over, get close enough, and wham! He hits those blocks with his hand, just scatters them all over the room, and laughs and laughs and laughs. And so I go and collect them up on the other side of the room, and I build the tower again. And then he'd see it, and off he'd come. We'd play that for hours. It was great to wear them out before bedtime. Uh, just to have him walking back and forth across the room and things like that. But the, the picture was always, he'd demolish it. As, as, as much as he could, he spread those blocks out all over the room. That was his goal. All right? So I encouraged it all along the way because, uh, you know, it was just part of our game. But here's the picture of mercy in this. He renews is a picture. He rebuilds. Because sin demolishes, doesn't it? It destroys and it separates and it, it, it causes all these, these results where pieces are lying everywhere. We know sin is like that. But what does the Lord do? He rebuilds. Isn't that a precious picture? He rebuilds. A great picture of this, again, is in the life of Peter. Uh, Luke chapter 22. This is just before uh, Jesus would go to the cross. And an episode happens here, and Jesus speaks directly to Peter. Luke twenty two thirty one. these are the words he says here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What does he mean by once you have turned again? Guess what? Peter, you're going to get struck with this one. It's going to spread pieces all over the place. 
Satan has demanded permission to sift you. I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. He doesn't say, I'm praying that nothing happens to you. He says, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And once you have turned again, the picture is that he has been spun so far from where he started, he doesn't even know which way is up. That's the kind of hit that's going to come on him. He is so far moved from the place where he started. He doesn't, he's disoriented. And the Lord says, and when you get moved back to your place, then you can strengthen your brothers. This is how he rebuilds. He moves us back. He brings us back. Brick by brick by brick. He rebuilds us. And you know the end result. The end result is that we shall stand before him and we shall be like him, right? Isn't that good news? When his mercy has been completed in every fashion, we shall stand before him as one who has been conformed to the image of the Son. He will not fail in this act of mercy of rebuilding. He will not fail. I know in life sometimes we think we still have pieces missing. (laughs) You know, I've been scattered all over the place and he's been rebuilding and rebuilding. But he will not fail to complete the project. That's his kind of mercy. It's a beautiful mercy. I like that, don't you? This is a mercy when we have to say, what are the benefits? What has he done for me? What shouldn't I forget? The psalmist David is writing these things. God in his mercy has seen that I needed forgiven and he forgave me. God has seen the damage and he has healed me. God has seen the danger and he has rescued me. God has seen my concern and he gives compassion to me. God has seen my emptiness and he's filled me. God has seen my ruins and he's renewed me. He's restored me. He has rebuilt me. That's mercy. That's the benefits of mercy. We know all of these, don't we? For we are those who have fallen off the cliff. Every single one of these things he's done for us, and he's done it in the fullest measure. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Oh, I love the benefits, don't you? We can fill up the bucket and it will overflow if we talk about more benefits. They just keep coming. This is the thing the Lord has done for us in mercy. I'm so thankful for it. I am so thankful for it. This is the kind of mercy our God gives to us. Let's go in and uh, talk to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, the psalmist has called us to bless you, and certainly we do that with our hearts and with our mouths here tonight. When we think of your mercy and what you have done for us, so undeserving are we, we should have been left there with those bodies. But you're the God of mercy and you've seen us in our greatest need and you've met that need more than the need itself. For you have given to us every blessing, every blessing in the heavenlies. You have showered upon us your mercy, which is a a great mercy of wealth and, and provision. 
You have overcome and overwhelmed every single issue we've had in our life with your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for that kind of mercy. Thank you for showering it upon us, for loving us in this fashion. Where would we be without it? Well, we know we'd still be in that pit. Thank you for what you've done. Bless your name, Lord. We bless your name with all that we have. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.